Hey, what's going on, everybody, and welcome to the Blazers Edge Podcast. I am your co-host, Dan Morang. As always, I am joined by Team Mom, Tara Bowen Biggs. Tara, how are you doing today? Hey, I am doing pretty good, Dan. Um, I'm just getting back from being out of town for a week, so uh, I wasn't able to watch a lot of basketball, but then the Blazers only had two games, so I didn't miss a ton. You you might have considered keeping that out of town for a few more days. You really... (laughs) I don't want to say you didn't miss anything, but you really didn't miss anything. Well, what I did catch of the Blazers, I was—I actually did watch the game against Philadelphia, and I listened to the Atlanta game in the car on the way home. And even though there were only two games, I feel like they took a combined like five years off my life. <laughs> yeah, no, I've had a couple of those already, which is probably explains why I look the way I look now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I. I, I you know what? It's great. Let's just damn let's, dive, dive right into these. Let's let's let's, let's take care of the good stuff do. first. Philadelphia. Yeah, let's start with Philadelphia. Oh okay. yeah. So Philadelphia first first part of the game, first quarter, second quarter, first half, however you want to call it. You know whatever whatever the the layman's term is. God, um, not great basketball. Um, you know, I think going into this game, this is kind of the one where I was like, well, if Embiid's playing, Covington's playing, everybody's out there and healthy, save Fultz. This is probably going to be a tough one for Portland without Dame. Uh, Matchup-wise, it's not not pretty on paper, um, unless you've got somebody to really make the opposing defense work. And, and Dame's the kind of guy that drives that. So mm-hmm. the first half, while disappointing, it wasn't unexpected. Right. You know, going back to the fact that they didn't have Dame, so they've been, that was the fourth game without Damian. Am I correct about that? Uh, they've been missing him since the uh, the game after San Antonio. San Antonio is where he got hurt, and then he's been out. And I think the Philadelphia was the fourth one that he missed. And there was, like, some strange stuff beforehand where people were thinking that he was going to play, and then he was not going to play. Yeah, it's a, it's a hamstring. And this I, I, is this yeah. on Blazers Outsiders, too. Um, I don't want Damian Lillard out there with, with, a, with a bum hamstring. No matter, like, it's, it's like one of the only injuries where I'm like, yeah, you can't, you can play through it, blah, blah, blah. No. Hamstrings are, are fickle, fickle beasts. And if it's not 100%, don't go out there. You know, I'm really surprised that they have even been considering talking about him playing <laughs> with a hamstring injury like that. I mean, when he got hurt and when he was so convinced that he got kicked in the back of the leg, I was just like, oh, that's not good. Because that's how those soft tissue. Um, you know, injuries manifest themselves as they feel like someone kicks you or punches you. And then, you know, you're just surprised when you find like, oh, nobody was around. And that was just exactly what happened. And so I understood that like it happened at a time where he was going to have a little bit of extra time off because of the holidays and the break. And I thought there might be a little bit like, well, we're going to give Damien a little bit more time to rest off like that. But the whole like, he's going to play. No, he's not going to play. He's going to play. No, he's not going to play. And he was even, I think, dressed that night. Uh, yeah, he's been dressed the last um, two nights now. Yeah, it's it just seems strange to me that they don't want to just be like, you know what, dude, just just Shut rest. It down. Like, are they just letting him go through the warmups? That's a really good then, point. Like, going from that, like, what does that do to like mentally to the, to the team? Right. Like, you yeah, think I mean, you, you think do, you, your guy may be out there because Dame's going to tell his guys like, yeah, I'm going to try to go. I'm going to try to go. And of course he is. Because that's you know, that's what. That's right. That's, that's why I want the medical staff do. to shut him down, because we we've talked about this off air. Like hamstrings, calves, you know those soft tissue injuries that you normally associate with soccer usually are like a bare minimum three to three to you know five six weeks. Mm-hmm. That's just the, that's just the nature of the beast, you, especially with these high level athletes. Um, the amount of strain and, and stress they put on their bodies it's it's something that you usually need to go through a few practices, kind of get in the groove, and make sure you're comfortable again. Um, and that's what Damian Lillard said is that. It's not so much a pain thing, it's a, it's a comfort, like not feeling like he can do something. And if you still have that, that thought in the back of your head, it's probably not a good idea to be playing. Right, and I remember talking to uh, Brian Freeman, um, you know, Blazers Edge writer who played professionally overseas, and uh, him talking about how when you're injured as an athlete, you don't want to, you know, describe it to the trainer because you're afraid you're going to describe it to the trainer and the trainer's going to tell you, no, you can't play. So the trainer is trying to get you to explain what it really feels like. And everybody's trying to just dance around whether or not you can play or not. 
And it just it just must be a really hard situation. But one thing the Blazers have going for us, and I absolutely agree with you about uh, letting him take as long as he needs to come back, because right now the Trailblazers are actually playing a full-on backup point guard with Shabazz. I am so excited that they're not trying to just kind of tweak things and move CJ over and da-da-da. no, just put Insert Shabazz, Shabazz in and let, let him go. Shabazz run the show. I'm so happy to see that. I've been wanting that for a couple of years now. Just like have a clear cut backup point guard. Don't mess around trying to get CJ to do everything. That's like the perfect segue we've got here too, because, um, the Philadelphia game, the, the first half was, you know, it, to coin my favorite phrase here, is it was a dumpster fire. It, it wasn't good mm-hmm. basketball at all. Um, Nurkic was awful. Uh, Shabazz was 0 for 6. CJ was ineffective. Uh, I mean, it was just, it just wasn't good. Third quarter, just, they, they found a way to make it worse. And you're just sitting there like, you've got to be kidding me. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> found a way to make it worse. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just compounding stupidity sometimes, and you just wonder how that team comes out of a locker room like that at the professional level. Um, and we've seen that a few times this year, where you're just like, "What happened? What what on mm-hmm. earth was that?" Yeah. And Shabazz is zero for six going into halftime, and then he comes out and absolutely catches fire. I mean, full on mocking Jay. Mm-hmm. Um. To be able to do that what a he Hunger did, Games yeah, I, I just pulled that one out. I was, I, I shot my shot there. That one, that one bounced off the rim. Um, nice, it was a good try though, Danny. Hey, good you know work. what? I'm, try, I'm trying to work a few of these in. Um, <laughs> but I mean, he starts the game 0 for six. He comes out. He ends the game with was it uh, 23? Yeah. 23. Yeah, yeah 23 he made one, points. <laughs> one point in the first half, I yeah. think. Yeah, 22 and in the second half. So he gets to the line nine times. Starts the game 0 for 6, finishes 7 for 14. So if, you, if your math's pretty good, he had a pretty decent uh, close to the game. Uh, 15 of those points were in the fourth quarter. I mean, he mm-hmm. just put on an absolute show, and it just happened to coincide with um, Nurkic's nose uh, fouling J.J. Reddick's face. <laughs> That's a funny way to put it. Uh yeah. Um, okay. So to give you a little context about how I watched this game, I'm going to back up just a little bit before the game. Um, Mike Richmond from the Oregonian tweeted out that the Blazers are going to be wearing their red jerseys again. And so of course he was like, prepare accordingly. So I, you know, tweeted out my red wedding, red wedding gifts, and then proceeded to get ready to listen to it on the radio. And then Brian Wheeler says, the Blazers are wearing their red jerseys. They're not the regular uh, statement edition. They're they're the city edition, or some people call them the university edition. And I was like, what is he talking about? I was like, did they have a whole nother red jersey I don't know about? And I was so confused. And I was like, is he kidding? Is he making it up? And you're, I was so confused. Terrifying. I like, I was like, what is happening? Is there a whole nother red jersey that <laughs> we could just derail us even further? And so I made my husband like take me down to the bar because we're on this deserted island. And I was like, we have to go watch this game because it was on TNT so that I could see which uh, uniforms the Blazers were wearing because I was so confused. So they were wearing the statement jerseys. Brian Wheeler was being funny. Um, but the long and the short of it uh, was that he and I were the only people in the bar except for the bartender. So during the game, I was loudly yelling at everybody. I, the first half of the game, I yelled at Nurkic so hard the whole time, go to the basket, dunk the ball, use two hands. What are you doing? I was just the, and the more you I were channeling your inner Dan. I was, I was like, so I got, I got to do this. And the, and the long more I went on, the better he played. And then he got hit in the nose. And I was like, this is fantastic. This is the Nurkic <laughs> that, that we want. He was dunking. He was going he was to the basket. He was it, like, why can't he be like that every game? It's a mentality. It's, it's, it's I'm absolutely 100% convinced it's, it's totally down to mentality because Joel Embiid, um, all the flopping and diving aside, and I know that sounds rich coming from a guy who's talking about use of Nurkic right now, um, yeah. but Embiid just got bullied endlessly by yeah. Nurkic. Oh, he, 
And Embiid is Embiid is massive and has all the balance and strength and coordination in the world. That's how he's able to pull off the stuff that he pulls off. I, I, had, I had 76ers fans in my mentions on Twitter uh, talking about how Embiid doesn't really flop, and when he does, he does it because he's trying to protect his body, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, yeah, go ahead mm-hmm. and explain that when he's going from the three-point line uh, with a right-to-left crossover, pull-up, step-back, fade-away. Like, but he, he's he's that coordinated to pull that off. But he gets off balance if Evan Turner brushes by his hip, huh? So, um, yeah. Sorry, I had to pull back on that one. Those guys kind of riled me up. But Nurkic went absolutely nuts. Um, back that up with Shabazz's uh, second half. CJ McCollum finding his groove and getting to the free throw line like crazy. He got a career high fourteen mm-hmm. free throw attempts and shot fourteen of fourteen. And I mean, this this is probably the big story from the game, other than the individual performances. 47 free throws for the Trailblazers to Philadelphia's 14. Um, and I know this is great coming from the guy who complains about officiating all the time, um, but it was mm-hmm. nice to see Portland rewarded with free throws for the first time, really, it felt like this season, especially considering that in the three games previous, the Trailblazers took 44 combined free throws. Mm-hmm. So in the three previous games, they took less free throws than they did in this one game. Right, in that one game. What what I don't understand is, um, I mean, I... I I, I know that there's been some tension between the referees and the league, and now the referees are going to be talking with the players' union mm-hmm. to try to uh, work out some stuff, you know, talking about the last two-minute reports. I feel like the referees are going to be uh, in the news quite a bit as they try to work out some stuff. But I these discrepancies in games where one team shoots so many more than other teams – I just have a hard time. I, I have a hard time with that. I don't. I don't understand why that happens. I mean, there are just, times when it's going to happen. They all make. They all make fouls. They. I mean, everybody fouls. Is, is it just that they're not seeing? Like, what is going on that they have? It seems like there's been a, more this year, and I haven't looked at any numbers to you know determine that. But what do you think is going on with the referee officiating this year? Well, I mean, I, uh, to me, it's not just this year. Uh, anybody who's followed me for any period of time knows that um, my biggest complaint with the NBA is how the game's officiated. Um, uh, I've long been a proponent of absolutely tearing down every bit of establishment within the NBA as it comes to officiating and rebuilding it from scratch as a completely and entirely uh, independent uni- uh, unit. Like I, I want it so to I- be um, outside of the NBA's purview so they can't affect or change or do anything to, to, the, to the refs. Um, I want to know what the training programs are. I want to know uh, how they're going about um, teaching and improving the product, how they're about, uh, recruiting, where they're recruiting, and what the requirements are to become an NBA official. Like right now, if you wanted to become an NBA official, do you know how to do it? I do not. Nobody does. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I want it to be a full-time you job. you go up through the ranks and then well, – What ranks though? Do you, do you go like through – you start – do you start at local? Like, do you go to college? Do you, which colleges do you go to? Um, are there training seminars? Are there? I mean, there are things that are out there, but it's not something that's – the path to the NBA is pretty easy as far as, like, if you have the talent, you can get there. The, the, you mean as a player? Yes. Okay. As a referee, that's not the case. I see. Um, the other thing that's a big thing to me um, is stop having part-time officials. These guys all have careers – outside of the NBA. And the reason they say that is so they can't be, you know, paid off. They, they won't get lulled into gambling. Here's an idea. You have a multi-billion dollar franchise um, or institution in the NBA. Pay the officials the money it takes to, 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 to negate that effect. I mean, they're already mm-hmm. paying, like the high-end officials are making $200,000 a year. Mm-hmm. So what's, what's the problem with, with doubling that? Yeah, they seem like they should have enough to right? go, or more than enough to go around. So, so I mean, I don't want to get too off the beaten path here, but there's a lot of things that I don't like with officiating um, and, and the way it's done because it, it affects the game, it affects outcomes, uh, it affects how games are, are called, how they're played. Um, for those that aren't aware, coaches and teams, they all have um, scouting books on referees just like they do opposing players because, opposing re- because there are referees that call the game certain ways. Why is that a thing? Shouldn't the game be called the same way, no matter who you're playing and where you're playing? Hmm. And I wonder if that is something that kind of leads to those big discrepancies, depending on which uh, referee is parked where and what combination with the other referees. 
Yeah, that that would explain. Vegas that would has help all the stuff. Of that. Vegas has all the stuff, and it factors mm-hmm. into their numbers. What do you think about the last two minute reports? I like them in the sense that it highlights the stupidity of the NBA officials um, in those situations, and 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 not just the their ability to call a game, but the absurdity that we get sometimes with um, how things go down in the last two minutes, like oh, the the no call out of bounds call. Like when there's a foul, it should be called, but the ball goes off the player that was fouled, and because it's under two minutes, it gets reviewed, and all of a sudden the correct right. call is out of bounds off that player as opposed to the foul. Right. So, like, but that's a rule thing, right? I exactly. Mean, but that's that's what I mean. Like, what is, what is the point of the last two minute report if it's not going to be there to correct the problems as opposed to just highlight the ridiculousness that, that goes on every night? So I get I get that they're I like them in a in a general sense, mm-hmm. but I mean for me I I get as a fan I get educated by them um, you know because I don't think I you know some people say oh it's easy to see that that was a foul or it's easy to see that was travel easy to see that and like. I don't think any of this stuff is easy to see. I mean, <laughs> I've been watching basketball for quite a long time, but I haven't been watching it, you know, with the same, you know, intensity that I have over the last like four years or so, mm-hmm. let's say. But even with that, I mean, I spend a lot of time on the NBA rule book trying to just watch and see what they're talking about, like with gathers and, you know, what's a moving screen. And they have like, you know, 17 different examples and they all have different nuances to them. So the last two minute reports for me help me, you know, understand, help me solidify my understanding of some of the rules, which I don't really think are that cut and dry. And I think that's the problem. And that's why you get performances like we had against Philadelphia, where one team has mm-hmm. 47 free throws and the other has 14. Yeah. Um, the Philadelphia 76 I don't look at them as a team that is just absolutely chucking from three. Uh, just for, you know, this game's argument, the Sixers took 32 threes, the Blazers took 24. That's, that's eight more shots. Yet, uh-huh. the 76ers took 12 more shots. So percentage-wise, it really isn't that much more. Mm-hmm. So if that's the case, then why are the free throw disparities that wild? It's not like Philadelphia is a team that's sitting here chucking mid-range jumpers. Uh, ben Simmons is going to the rim. That, mm-hmm. That's where he, he can't shoot outside of 12 feet. So you know that's coming. Amir Johnson yeah. is going to the rim. Trevor Booker is going to the rim. Um, Sarich is a guy that will go to the rim. The only guys really that want to sit there and knock down shots from the outside over and over again consistently are Covington and Redick. Now, Embiid shot 6 of 12 for 3 and almost brought that team back that, that, <laughs> that night. But, um, yeah, the disparity there between those two was, was absolutely wild and I think was definitely a huge factor in, in Portland getting the comeback. Cause, I mean, you get 16 free throws from Nurkic and 14 from McCollum. Um, that's 30 by themselves. I mean, McCollum had as many free throws by himself as the 76ers. And while I, while I appreciate that as a, as a Blazers, you know, quote unquote fan, um, as I'm sitting there watching that, I I don't enjoy that as far as how it impacts the game night in night out. That's what David Fisdale made a whole speech about and where he became a local hero and they made t-shirts. Yeah. Take that for data. (laughs) about about that um well so things do have a way of evening out as you talked about you know the you know huge free throw disparities prior you know prior and then this game came in and had a free throw disparity the blazers did manage to pull it out with mad nurk with the broken no or with the you know popped up nose but things also have a way of evening out and that leads us to the next game against atlanta uh, which started off pretty well i did mean it, it didn't start off great did it start well, off well because it, it took- I was in the car and it was going in and out and then my data ran out and so it was buffering and it was so it was like so torturous trying to listen to this God, game. Li- listening listening to that game while buffering that, that's probably the worst <laughs> yes. way imaginable. Uh, that's that's it, a it, that's a form of torture that I'm fairly certain in the in the 2018 Geneva Convention guidelines will be updated. Just don't say I never did anything for this podcast. God, <laughs> I mean it took. It took a, a couple miracle shots for Portland to hit 23 points against the worst team in the league in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. Like they they were yeah, they were outplayed well. <laughs> they were outplayed drastically early on, and that was pretty much the theme throughout the game. They're, the Blazers won one quarter, one quarter yeah. against the Atlanta Hawks. 
And that was the second where it looked like, hey, you know what? Maybe they realized that, hey, well, you know what? We kind of came in here. We were overlooking them. Uh, we played stupid in the first quarter. We we're only down after one. Let's go ahead and get the ball rolling. So they, they take a six-point lead and a half. And then the, the rest of the game happened. And uh. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it sounded ugly. I was glad I wasn't watching it. Um, it, it sound, and, and that's one where after it's over, you just think, who, who didn't get up for this game? Like, and why weren't they up for this game? Um, you know, I mean, I, it kind of leads us into one of the things that what we were going to talk about is uh, there's been a, you know, quite a bit of talk lately. The Blazers right now are one game over 500. Uh, we thought that they would come out the gate maybe a little bit stronger because of the strength of schedule was supposed to be really easy. And, you know, after very high expectations in their first two games. This you know, is where right here. Right, right now in the schedule, away. this is where it was supposed to get tough, and they were supposed to have the yep. buffer built in right now. Right. Yes. And so uh, that has not happened. But but the the question that I've been hearing more and more often is why is this happening? And recently, John Canzano wrote that article about uh, talking about um, you know who should people be looking at uh, to step up and take responsibility for the place where the team is. Who's responsible Who's responsible for this mediocrity? Um, there's been a lot of talk about, is it the coach? Is it the players? Is it the, is it the GM or is it the owner? Gonzano's article made the point that the owner is Paul Allen is uh, very involved and he's, you know, trying to tinker and try to be too involved. Whereas, you know, in his uh, ownership of the Seahawks, he's much more hands off. Um, you know, so this article, the article happened to lay a lot of the responsibility on Paul Allen for being too involved and he needs to just let uh, the, uh, the uh, owner or the GM and the coach do their thing. What kind of thoughts, what do you, what thoughts do you have on, on, on all of this? I guess, I mean, I know that one of the things that you're really passionate about, so maybe we'll start with that is, is this a Terry Stotts problem? No. And, and that's, I, can, I can get to that one really easy. A lot of right. people have, have talked to me or gone at me or asked questions over the last couple of weeks about Terry Stotts on Twitter or they've emailed me, DM'd me, whatever, texted me, um, all basically trying to say that somehow latest at Stotts' feet. Coach Stotts, in his entire time in Portland, has overperformed expectations literally every single year. That to you me is the surest shine of a His players have outperformed to expectations. Absolutely. I mean, okay. Terry Stotts and what he's been able to do in Portland. Um, but why aren't they doing it now, I guess, is what people are, are wanting to know. I think people are expecting. Like, what's different this year? I think people were expecting too much. The- uh, that's okay. the thing. I- this team, if it wasn't for a miracle, an absolute miracle or miracles the last two years. You had the, the, the push in 15-16 where they got absolutely red hot post-All-Star break. They did all of that. I mean, they played out of their minds down the stretch to get three games above 500. Three games. 44 wins. Last year, Nurkic fever. How great they played and all this fantastic basketball. Rah, 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 rah. To get to 41 wins. A 500 team. This team, right. post Lamarcus, Batum, Matthews, Lopez, doesn't have the talent. That's that's flat out. It does not have the talent of those teams. And yet, through sheer will, magic of awesomeness, everything else thoughts can conjure together has been able to outperform. I mean, this is a team in 2015-16 was picked to win 27 and a half games. Even if you didn't think the team was that bad, which I don't think many people did. Nobody had that team for more than 35, 36 wins. Every, every projection I put on that team was at 34 and a half. I mean, that's, that was the reality of it. So to get them to, you know, 10 games above that, that was nutty. So it, it, it falsely raised expectations because Stotts has been good enough to get more out of these guys than I think anyone not named Kerr, Popovich, or, or even Spolstra could do. So I guess some of the things that I have been hearing are why is he no longer able to do that? 
I think the, the big thing is, is that they've, they've lost shooting, and, and it's not just Alan Crabb. It's just the idea of how they want to play. Uh, Maurice Harkless is not a consistent shooter. Um, Crabb was a guy that came off the bench that gave you a ton of gravity. Um, Evan Turner has poor guys fallen off completely. I mean, just his, his effectiveness is next to nothing on the offensive end right now. Um, he's so it sounds like you're saying players were playing beyond, were playing way, beyond themselves way, and they've come back down yeah. to earth. Okay, um, here's a few other criticisms that I've heard of Stotts that I'd love to hear your thoughts on. Um, one of the things is that, uh, that he's playing so many rotations that players don't know their roles. There are three players on this team that know their role night in, night out. Maybe four. Four now. Um, Dame, CJ, Nurkic, Aminu. Um, and the reason why they Shabazz, know that, I'd say Shabazz. I, I would, I would, I'm almost to the point where I can say that about Shabazz too, but Shabazz is doing a lot of this with Dame down. So we'll, we'll see how many mm-hmm. minutes he gets when, if, when Dame comes back. Um, but I, I really love everything Shabazz is doing not, not to undersell that at all. Um, but the rest of the guys, the reason they don't know their role is because they don't have one and it's not on the coach to create a role for them. It's on them to deliver. Is it not the, but isn't it the role of the coach to like, Tell people um, what this is. This you is can how tell Maurice Harkless to shoot corner threes, but if he can't make them, what's he going to do out there? You can tell Evan okay, Turner so- to hit a, to space the floor and take the jumper when it's there, but if opposing defenses don't recognize him or don't care that he's out there taking it, what does it do? Everybody's like, oh, they need to get a, a more ball movement oriented offense. If you move to a, the ball to a guy in a position where he's not capable or not or not able to deliver, defenses won't go out there. Everybody's like, oh, they need to they need to run more cuts for Maurice Harkless. How are you going to run cuts for Maurice Harkless when there's four people waiting in the paint because they don't have to extend their defense to go out to him? So it sounds like you're saying that the players who don't know their roles don't know their roles because the roster was not designed to run the plays that the that people who been do running. know their roles should be able to <laughs> yeah, do. That Portland's been running since Stotts has got here. It's not like it's not like things have changed drastically as far as how the offense goes. It's really not because if you if you watch, there are times when Dame and CJ look to move the ball. And they move, the, they move the ball, and then nothing comes out of it. So what do they do later in the game? They just they don't do it. Because the, the, the expectation that, that, that the guy on the, on the receiving end of the pass is going to deliver just isn't there anymore. I think there's some serious trust issues within this team as far as guys who can deliver night in and night out. And I think that circle is getting tighter and tighter and tighter as far as um, who those guys will trust with the ball in crunch time. Well, look at Harkless. He came back out and played really well, blah, 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 blah. Dame wasn't there. That's clearly why. No. <laughs> That's not clearly why. He got matched up against a rookie-laden or youth-laden team that didn't know how to close out a game in the Lakers. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what that was. I mean, Morris Harkless is a nice and serviceable enough player. I, I like what he does. But saying that Coach Stotts is holding back Maurice Harkless is probably the most asinine thing I've heard in 2017. And there have been some stupid things said this year. So when, when, people, okay. get, when people get to that level where the, that's, that's where they're pegging the problem with the Portland Trailblazers, like, you, you just completely lose me. Okay. I'm going to give you some more at great risk of being yelled at again. <laughs> I just, you know, like people don't spend as much time thinking about the Blazers as, as you do necessarily. So, you know, I'm just giving you the things that some of the things that I've Oh heard. no, trust me. I know I've, I've been fighting these things off with a bat on Twitter for the last 72 hours. It's nutty. So I'm asking you to explain without hitting me with a bat. <laughs> So here's something else that I've heard um, about uh, Stotts. Uh, he's not playing the rookies that Olshay drafted. And that's not just this year, but that he's, uh, with the exception of Damien, that he spends uh, too much time or he doesn't give the rookies enough time earlier. So that includes like Connaughton um, and Laming. Who does? What coach in the NBA plays rookies? That's supposed to be winning. Utah. <laughs> but even then, they, they played Donovan Mitchell because they had to. Ricky Rubio has, right. been, has been really, really bad, and they've, they've, had, they've been laden with injuries. And I love Donovan Mitchell. Everybody knows, knows that that was the guy that I was camping for hard in this draft. Um, 
So your response is that other coaches don't play rookies either. No, because uh, if, guys they want, need to. Unless they're tanking or they're, they're, they're a, a youth team. If they're a youth-laden team that's looking to build for the future, because remember, the, the, what, we're, what we've been told and what we've been sold over the last two years is this is a team that's, that's growing. It's building into something. It's not looking forward to the, you know, to the future. It's, hey, this is a team that's in the now. It's looking like it could turn into something. That's what we've been told over the past few years. It's just one more little tweak, one little change. And if that's the case, you don't play rookies. You play what's going to get you wins night in and night out. And that's the same to be said for every coach in the NBA that's not on a team that's looking to build for the future or a team that's tearing down and tanking. Nobody plays rookies. Unless, okay. here's, here's the caveat to that, unless they immediately show that they're ready for the NBA. Damian Lillard showed that he was immediately ready for the NBA. Um, Jason Tatum showed everybody he was immediately ready for the NBA. Um, I think Mitchell you could make the case for. The rest of the guys... They're all on teams. Look at every other team. Simmons is with the 76ers, and they're kind of pushing forward, but they have uh, Embiid to, to go around him, and then they have Fultz, who hasn't even touched the floor yet. Lowry Markkinen is in Chicago on one of the worst teams in the league. John Collins in Atlanta on the worst team in the league. Lonzo and, and Kuzma in L.A., one of the worst teams in the league. Dennis Smith in Dallas, one of the worst teams in the league. That's why those guys are getting time. And not only that, Swanigan and, and Collins are both bigs on a team that has more bigs than, than they have <laughs> anything else. So there, there's just no reason that if you're talking about this team building and playing for right now, that those guys would, would be out there or they'd be getting extended minutes early in the season. There's, there's just no way. So you're thinking Stotts is not the problem. Yeah, no, <laughs> what I'm I, hearing I, loud I, and no, clear. No, absolutely not. If you, <laughs> he's you, doing the best that he can with the pieces that he has. The only time that I think I've questioned Stotts this year are, are on two things. One, when he pulled Nurkic in the Nets game. I, I think that was the first time. I think I have probably two or three games a season with him where I question a rotation or I question a call. And I, I think that's only natural, because if you're agreeing with somebody 100% of the time, that, that's probably a problem. Um, the other one is burying Myers-Leonard when this is a team that just needs shooting. Mm-hmm. Like I, and People know that, yeah, I love Myers. Um, I, I'm unabashedly a fan of Myers. But I think from a contextual standpoint, as far as the, the skill set that he can bring on the floor, um, which particularly as Portland struggles with shooting, um, Orlando Williams, Dwight James, and Dan Sheldon, they've all hit on this in the postgame show for the Blazers. I don't know what's going on with Myers. Like why uh, he's not able to get on the floor. Those, those are the only things I've really questioned. The rotations, you want to know why Coach Stotts is doing what he's doing with these rotations? Because nobody's showing they can deliver night in, night out. It was like, well, you've got to get consistency to play night in, night out. Nobody on this team outside Dame and CJ have earned that. And Aminu. So if you I can't deliver say- night in, night out, then, then what's the, what, why should you be out there night in and night out in a particular position? I'd say that there is at least one other player who is delivering night in and night out, but he's a role player um, off the bench. So he he's not, you know, showing the flashy numbers. He's not. And it's, it's making, your boy, Ed. It is my boy, Ed. And I think, <laughs> I think the reason that I haven't even talked about Ed is because he's just doing what he does. Yeah. But he, but when you talk about one of the things that about this team is it being consistently inconsistent, Ed has been extremely consistent. Yeah, he's this been season. part of the steadiest of anyone this year, he's, probably. Yeah, he's one of the players that's actually you know improved over this last recent stretch of games, like over over the last two weeks. Um, if you look at the you know some of the average, like what the team averages are. Um, for the season versus the last two weeks, they're um, actually falling behind a little bit. They're falling behind season average. Ed is one of the few players who's actually improving his numbers slightly over the last two weeks compared to his season average. Ed comes night in and night out and does exactly what he needs to do as a role player. And it makes me sad that somebody who is uh, so excellent at being that role player is maybe the person that uh, is most one of the most likely to not be here next year. That makes me very sad. Or even but in wanted, February. Uh, right. Well, I wanted to make one other remark about Ed, and maybe we can talk a little bit about uh, you know February. Um, and that is the, what I've noticed over the last uh, several games that uh, Collins and Ed come in together. Like you can predict them coming in together. Um, when it's time for Collins to enter the game, that Ed Davis comes in with him. 
Collins has played 254 minutes so far this season. He's played 145 of them alongside Ed Davis. Over the last 10 games, Collins has played 72% of his minutes with alongside Ed Davis. Um, and I think that is by design because I think that Ed Davis is a really good uh, teacher for, or, you know, I think he's a really good uh, influence and mentor for Collins. He I think covers that, up a ton of mistakes for anybody too. <sighs> but no, not, but not, I, not I just think... Collins, but I'm talking about in general, he covers up mistakes defensively for a lot of people. And that allows Collins to learn without being punished severely for it. Yeah. But I, but I think it's on purpose. I think Ed and Collins are at least for the time being, while, while we're going to see Collins out there, we're going to see him together with Ed because I think he pairs well with Ed and I think he can learn from Ed. And like you said, he can cover up some things for him, but he plays well when he comes in with Ed. And that got me thinking, um, because at the same time, Caleb Swanigan just got sent to the G league Mm -hmm. and it got me thinking about the, I think you know, Collins is playing right now because of that relationship, that good, um, you know, mentor mentee relationship that they appear to have on the court. And it's not that I don't think Caleb Swanigan would be like a good mentee, but I just don't see who on the trailblazers right now would be set up to be his mentor in that kind of way. What's it going to be Nurkic? Who's like barely older than him. You know, Myers isn't seeing any time. He's not going to learn anything from him. And I think sending Caleb Swanigan down to the G league gets him exactly what he needs, which is playing time. And he can just, you know, he can just get in there and do what he needs to do. I think Collins, somebody who's, you know, played as a backup, who's used to playing, you know, I don't want to say second fiddle, but who's used to coming in off of the bench, playing behind somebody, that type of a learning situation for him, I think is good. Whereas I think Swanigan just needs to get down to the G league and just dominate and get used to playing against bigger bodies, you know, college, you know, bodies that are bigger yeah, than absolutely college. I mean, do you think there's any credence to that? Does that make any sense at all? Yeah, no, it really that does. That type of development works for each of those guys individually. No, it, it absolutely makes sense. And that's why early on in the year, I was screaming for Zach Collins to go down to the G League if they weren't going to play him at all. Like, get uh-huh. him minutes. Like, I, I don't have a problem with with Zach Collins playing. I have a problem with him playing in, in these weird spurts where games are on the line and you don't know what you have in the kid. That, that was what was bothering me. I'm like, why are you putting him out there right now if you're talking about trying to win games? Like mm-hmm. it's either develop the kid or and acknowledge that or send him down and get him playing time. Like that, that's where I kind of found myself going back and forth. And it was the same thing really with Swanigan. Um, but the, the whole mentor mentee relationship, it, it probably it, not probably it, it does make a lot of sense. Um, we, we've seen it before. We've seen it with Prisbilla. We've seen it with Cayman. Um, we saw it with Kim Hughes. Um, so mm-hmm. th- having that relationship and something to lean on, because I, I think Collins, sees himself as a more offensive-minded version of Ed Davis, someone who's positionally flexible, who can go inside and outside, um, moves his feet well. Offensively, there's, there's obviously some, some big differences. But I think he wants to get behind that versatility. And he, he was on the pregame show on Rip City Live uh, the other day, and he was talking about exactly that, about how he can be positionally flexible. Um, he, he, he did basically say that you know centers are probably a bit too much for him still. Um, mm-hmm. in the NBA, and that's that's a given, um, and which is why when Ed's out there with him, Ed's at the, at the, at the center position and Collins is at the power forward. Um, but yeah, no, I I think it's a good it's a good matchup um, for their playing styles because of um, their abilities um, defensively and how they move their feet. That that offers them some flexibility. But I think the reason they're allowed to be so successful right now. Um, on that end of the floor are because guys like Connaughton and um, Shabazz have been so good in, in the sports. Like if you look at um, the, all the lineups over the past, I think it's over the past month that feature Shabazz, Pecan and Davis, mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. three guys together on the floor at the same time have some of the best, yeah. best ratings of, of any lineup the Blazers put out there. Because if you look at them, what does Napier give you on defense? Probably your most aggressive defender on the perimeter, right? Mm-hmm. Generates more steals than anybody. Um, I mean, just in the last 10 games, um, Napier's giving Portland over two steals a game. That, that, which is, which think, is crazy which, for, Nap- for, for anyone in Portland. 
It's kind of hard to to answer this question now with Napier playing with the starters, but do you think that the Blazers main bench unit is better than most teams main bench unit or a lot of teams? No, No, you don't No. So the, the the Connaughton Napier Davis, I think that those guys uh, are all fine in their own right, but Napier and probably Connaughton are the only guys on that unit right now that I fully trust to deliver on both ends. Like Ed Davis, mm-hmm. I like as a player. There's, Not Ed? No, I, I love Ed. He, offensively, he's just, he has one skill offensively, which is, well, two if you want to count screen setting. Screen setting and offensive rebound and put, put back. back. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. just, he, if Ed could hit a 15-footer, 12 to 15-footer at like a 40% clip, just enough to give defenses pause, because when they run a pick and roll with Ed Davis right now, it's a roll. There's, there's, there's no, mm-hmm. there's no pop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, there, there is no pop there. there. There, there's no, you know, uh, sliding off the pick and, and seeing him just kind of pull away to the side and open up the lane. So I, I think that limits what Portland can do. Now, if they had another guy out, like let's say Zach Collins magically discovers he can shoot the ball. Um, and for everybody who's going to get all wired up right now, he's shooting 26% from three. So please calm down. Um, if he discovers that he can shoot the ball consistently, then I think that that could open things up for Davis. But we're still a long ways off before seeing anything like that develop consistently. Um, Connaughton, uh, if there's one thing I love about Connaughton and Napier, both those guys, when they think that they've got the shot that's in their wheelhouse, there is zero hesitation in taking those shots. Yes, it's, I it's, love that. It's, some of my, it's one of my favorite traits about those guys. The other thing is, is that mm-hmm. they're both competitors. Have you ever seen mm-hmm. Napier or Connaughton take a playoff? Mm-mm. They, no, they, they, they hustle. All the time. All the time, always going after it. Um, even with Connaughton or Napier's overmatched physically, because Napier's small for the point guard position, and Pat's not – well, he's an explosive athlete. The one thing I've always said is that Pat's side-to-side isn't the best, and when he's on a, on a, on a true three, you know, a 6'7", 6'8", 6'9", swing man with, with real speed – the Pat's kind of in he's trouble. He's going to get left behind. Yeah, but he does a lot of things really well to negate that by being uh, ahead of where guys want to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so you get Napier's defense, you get Pat's defense, and they're both their willingness to work. They're, they both have multiple ways of generating their own shot. Pat can catch on the, sh- on, on the catch and shoot at three. He can catch in traffic and finish at the rim. And I think we're at the point now where I, I've, I've said it jokingly a bunch of times, and well, half serious, but Pat Conton is the best cutter on this team. He, mm-hmm. he finishes in traffic incredibly well. He's got good hands in, in, in the lane. Um, and he can even create off the bounce for himself a little bit. It, it's kind of, somebody would just throw an alley-oop. Yeah, that, that's the other thing is he can finish, he can finish on, on, on the oop too. Um, he just needs to get one every now and then. Shabazz um, can dribble off the pick and roll. He can pull up. I mean, he he pulled up from 35 feet the other day. It was like, okay, baby Dame. Um, <laughs> he gets to the rim. Um, he had that little scoop finish at the rim the other night. It was just absolutely beautiful. Um, he keeps his dribble alive. Um, he's kind of a modern-day point guard where he's he looks to set up his teammates, but he's looking more to set the, the, the pace and the tempo of the game. And when he's on the well, floor, I, the, the, yeah. the Blazers play faster. There's no doubt about it. I what I trust about having the ball in Shabazz's hands is I I trust that there's going to be more than just one option, like like that like you're saying like he's running the floor, you know, like he's looking for more than just the one option. He's looking to get people moving and filling space so that they have so he has multiple options. I, know, I I guess I'm I'm glad that we're talking about the bench because we spend we spend so much time usually talking about the starters and the big three and what's you know what's what's going on with the big three and stuff and you know I think that I think that I think we can trust the bench I personally trust the bench more than I have in a long time um, partly because like you were saying that no hesitation we have guys who come off the bench who don't worry about what they're supposed to be doing they just do it you know and they might not do it successfully every time but they do it without having to think about it and i like that making I, I, the right play one of the bright spots i think is the is the bench this year yeah i mean if you're making the right play and making the right decision if it doesn't work out i think most people are willing to concede that's just the game but if mm-hmm. you're if you're consistently making the right play and that means if you're a shooter taking the shot if that means if you're a, if you're gonna put the ball on the floor and attack the rim and that's that's your game then then go for it 
Like that's, I am not. If Pat Conton comes off a curl and catches the ball on a durable handoff, squares up and pulls for three with eight seconds left on the shot clock, um, after you know they've gone through the set, I'm not mad about that. I've seen him hit the shot. Uh-huh. You're, people are like he needs to square up and take that. Blah blah. blah. I'm like, okay, that's fine. If you want to criticize that, whatever. But I'm not mad with with, with because he missed the shot. I'd be uh-huh. I'd be mad if he did take the shot because now he catches the 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 bigs are looking for the the rebound if they're going to go for the offensive rebound or you have guys kind of leaning back looking to get back in transition and play defense so you're not you're not getting the opportunity you would get otherwise if the play's set up to get you a good look and you get the good look and don't take it that's that's a frustrating uh, possession for me and I don't think you get a lot of those from from Napier Davis um Connaughton um Really, I think the list pretty much ends there with yeah. the past some of the starters. So yeah. I think that's why, I mean, if you look at their stats over the last 10 games, um, Shabazz Napier is the only guy in the top six Blazers to have a positive net rating. Granted, it's only a positive point four, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, it's, it's a lot shinier than, than Evan Turner's negative 14 or Aminu's even negative eight. Yeah, I know. I've I've been looking at uh, you know how much I love Aminu, but I've been looking at his stats, and he's been he's been struggling with his shot, and that is making a difference, I think, in with all of his numbers across the board. Yeah, and um, I think Aminu's still just, doing you know, a lot of things, re- but um, I think it's more about the rest of the starting lineup is just getting their butts kicked. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they've had some of the most lackluster performances in the past two weeks than of any Blazers team I've seen in recent memory. Like it's yeah, and I, I think what we're seeing that reaction in the fan base, which is why so many people are, are so vociferous right now about Stotts, about Olshay, about Paul Allen. Um, everybody's looking for somebody to blame, um, to to point out exactly what's wrong or why this is going wrong, and the fact that the Blazers are a game over 500, and yet people are still this angry. I think kind of paints a picture of how a lot of people maybe he projected this team going into the season. Right. Yeah, I I think so. And it begs the question, you know, what do you think is most likely to happen on February 8th? Do you think the Blazers make a big move for personnel reasons or do you think they make smaller moves for uh, the sake of getting under the cap or I think there's a lot that can happen. Uh, I I think it's going to be hard to do both. I think the market's going to be well, here's strange. Here's the thing. If Portland goes downhill, somebody's probably going to lose their job. Like if, if Portland, okay. if, the, if the Blazers, I mean, if you look at their upcoming schedule, um, yeah, it's brutal. I mean, that's, right. that's just the fact of the matter. Um, other than the Chicago Bulls game, which they, they'll have, you know, tomorrow, Monday, it's recording this New Year's Eve. Uh, then they go to Cleveland. Then they have the Hawks again, which they've already shown they can beat you. <laughs> um, and you're at home at a place I'm going where you, to that game. I'm not <laughs> sure how excited I am about that. Yeah. So you're at home in a place where you have it won't the, be buffering this time. Yeah. Well, at least the, you, this, this won't be the eighth straight loss at home because they, they pulled out the home <laughs> win against Philly. Um, but then you have the Spurs at home and you want a four game roadie against OKC, Houston, New Orleans, Minnesota. Oh, God. Like you could, like Portland could easily find themselves in some serious trouble very quickly. The, granted, it lightens up a little bit with the Suns, Pacers, and Mavericks, but then it goes Nuggets, Timberwolves, Mavericks, Clippers, Bulls, Raptors, Celtics, Pistons. So you've got a pile of division opponents who were all good to great teams. The Clippers got Blake Griffin back. Um, the Bulls are playing better basketball. Like the Mavericks just beat the Thunder tonight. So like I mean. <laughs> You look at these right. teams and how they're playing right now. You're just sitting here like, ah, crap. Because <laughs> it's right. it, it's not well, looking great. Right. Well, and you you said that you know when when I brought up the trade deadline, you said that you thought that if things go poorly between now and then, somebody might lose their job. Do you think that? I mean, I guess that will that a, will dictate what happens February eighth. Right. Like if it's the general manager, then it's going to be hard to come through with some trades. Yeah, because it's <laughs> the first somebody new is going to come in. All that is gone. Yeah, exactly. I if it's that, a coach, that would be you. You maybe try hard. shuffling some deck chairs. Yeah. Um, I, this isn't the kind of thing where I'm think Paul Allen's going to sell the team before February eighth. Right. So I, I don't think that's a problem. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, if, if something – really, I think that's the biggest question mark right now. Not what is Portland going to do February 8th, but what happens to Portland between now and February 8th. Between now – wow, that's, that's a really good point. 
Um, and so much of that is going to determine, it's going to be determined on the effort that the players bring in every night. Really the next two weeks yep. is going to determine that. Like if something, yeah. if something is going to happen, um, between now and then this, this pack of games is going to, is going to do it. This, this is a, at least from, from what I've been told, like this is the straw that's going to break the Campbell's back one way or the other. But it's, I mean, it's, it's interesting though, because like you said, it's the first time in a couple of years that we can remember kind of looking at the players going, did you guys really, did everybody bring it tonight? Yeah. You know? And so, you know, there's a lot of stuff writing on them being able to bring it every night, which, you know, it's New Year's Eve, right? We're recording this on New Year's Eve. So maybe that's, I mean, I can't make New Year's resolutions on behalf of anyone, but maybe they're, they're looking at themselves going, yeah, like, we, we, we want we can our gift coach them. to not be under fire. Yeah, we can gift them some, some New Year's resolutions. Um, I saw Damian Lillard on Twitter tonight. He's an avid Raiders fan like I am. Um, who wasn't exactly thrilled about Jack Del Rio being fired? Um, mm-hmm. uh, who was he was let go of the Raiders today? Um, right. He, he basically said that you know that's the coach that brought the Raiders back. Well, guess what, folks? Yeah. Terry Stotts is the coach that brought the Blazers back. Oh man! And we all know yeah. the relationship that Damian Lillard has with Terry Stotts. Yeah, I and mean, you know how um, ephemeral, what is it, ethereal that a, a coach's. Uh, relationship can be with the team like yeah. the way that you know Fizdale was just gone after becoming a folk hero for take that for data he was gone yeah i mean the, the, so i mean the identity of the portland trailblazers is is etched in in damian lillard's dna now but mm-hmm. he was able damian lillard was able to do that because of coach coach coach, coach Stotts <laughs> enabling yeah. that yeah so yeah i it, I mean, if, if you're if you're a fan of Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers, if you New Year's Eve revolu- or New Year's resolutions, the Blazers get it together. If if not mm-hmm. for the, the the franchise's sake, for Terry Stotts' sake, because mm-hmm. he, where there's smoke, there's fire, and I, I don't want to prop up any rumors or anything like that. But when when numerous articles are popping up locally and nationally, wondering mm-hmm. if your coach is on the hot seat, guess what, folks? He's on the hot yeah. seat. Yeah. And that's that's yeah. true of any sport: baseball, football, basketball, soccer. It doesn't matter. Um, in those instances where there's smoke, there's fire, and, and it sucks. So I I, I kind of hope, well, not I kind of hope. I hope they figured that one out, if for nothing else, for Stotts' sake. So uh, I know you've got some some New Year's resolutions that you wanted to hand out here, kind of kind of like late Christmas gifts. Right, but they're not nearly as serious as that. <laughs> yeah, let's let's get away <laughs> so from that for a little bit because that's good. It, I let's, like. Let's I mean, I'm I'm always dark and, 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 and depressing, and like I even like this is getting to the point where it's like it's even too much for me. <laughs> oh God! And you're just dragging me in with you, uh-huh. Dan. I know. Okay, let's lighten it up. <laughs> so um, I have one uh, a New Year's resolution for Aminu for him to uh, commit to more Euro steps because that Euro <laughs> step that he did. <laughs> So amazing, and it's actually, I believe, the second time that he's done it, it this year. It just completely came out of nowhere. Which is funny is when, like, when we started, when we when I came up with this idea, the first one that popped in my head was for for Aminu to not put the ball on the floor if he can't put it down. No. less less than two dribbles. If it's more, it. if it's more than two dribbles, he's not allowed to do it. Well, and Euro steps. I mean, you don't really dribble. And that, that that's much, that's right? fine. Exactly. And I mean, he, he's long <laughs> and lanky. He can cover some ground. So, so I mean, we could both have what we want. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm for, all about that. For yeah, so I, I commit uh, some more for him to commit to more Euro steps. Um, and then for Ed Davis, because like I was saying, he's working so hard just day in and day out. He comes and he does exactly what's expected of Ed Davis. And then he also, like I believe, has taken on sort of this extra role of uh, mentoring Zach Collins. He also has twin babies at home. So for Ed Davis, I would like a resolution that he – takes really good care of himself and treats himself at least once a month to like a spa day or something. Just like get some Ed Davis time, get his head, get, you know, you know, take care of himself for once. Cause I think he's doing a lot and he's managing a lot. And I think he needs to just make time for self care. 
It's not a bad one. I, I kind of had one here because, you know, Shabazz is, has been ignited and he's got some folk hero stuff to him behind the Shabazz is the man commercials. Yes. <laughs> um, anybody who's been watching Blazers Outsiders knows that the, com- so the commercial much. drives me absolutely insane because I cannot get it out of my head. Um, and my co-host Joe and Shane love to just, just poke me all show long with it. So like Shabazz is the man. Yeah. Shabazz if, if, is the like, man. I, I think they have like a Shabazz is the man. <laughs> I think they have like a running tally of seeing how many times they can work that in per show just to like get me to stop talking mid sentence and just like just just poke me a little bit. So I'm I'm kinda hoping like that Pat Connaughton gets a deal like that that's just as just mind numbingly <laughs> stuck in people's heads that everybody else despises as much as I do. But it's one that I can enjoy, and I can just poke everybody with that one. Um, so yeah, like I, I'm, I'm wishing that Pat gets paid in some recognition, but also that I get to be pipe, spiteful and petty with it. So that's, that's, that's like <gasps> always the best. looking out for yourself. Man. Absolutely. How can I take advantage of somebody else's New Year's resolution? The, the, the finesse game is always going. I, I would like the Blazers to resolve to get more players back into the uh, standard TV and appliance commercials because <laughs> for the last two years, Damien hasn't been in those commercials. And I think, I think that's affected everyone. I, I, I want to get Damien in his little uniform, you know, in, in some kind of commercial, like, you know, I just, I would like to see him, um, you know, taking, I, I mean, I guess he's in, He's in that new Adidas commercial, which I don't understand at all. The one with everybody in uh, it? Yeah, I don't understand. I love that commercial. But they're at a dinner table, and there's no dinner. Like, <laughs> what is going on? Of course you would notice that. <laughs> I, I haven't even – I don't even know what they're saying. Like, what are they talking – are they talking about creativity or something creativity like that? Creativity and individuality, yeah. You got, uh, you got Beckham up there. You got Paul Pogba. You got Messi. You got Dame. You got Von Miller. You got Pharrell. I mean, there's a lot of people in that commercial. Yeah. Meanwhile, just, you've got Torian um, Prince who can't get a hold of anybody from Adidas, apparently. I know. So, so I guess Dame is already in um, a lot of commercials, but I'd like to see him back in some more local ones. I mean, I know he does uh, the car commercial ones too and everything, but I just – he's so talented in so many ways that – is, you more know, Dame is we always see good. CJ all over the place. I want to see more Dame too. See, I want to see the fan base get behind a resolution to have another Twilight movie made, so Zach Collins can realize his dream. So Zach Collins can, can star in it. <laughs> so Zach Collins can star in it as a Twilight vampire. Shout out to Ian he Carmel does... who called him an emaciated Twilight vampire. So, um, uh, how many of the Twilight movies have you seen, Dan? Uh, I've seen parts of, I think, three of them. We got to explore this more at some, some future date. <laughs> I guess it's, it's one of those things like where I'll have like something on in the background on the TV and it'll like one movie will end and the other one will come on while I'm writing late or something like along those lines. I've never actually sat down to watch uh, any part of it. Well, maybe that's movie. what you could do in the new year, Dan. Maybe you could resolve to watch all the Twilight you know what? series um, I, I beginning do, to end. I, I do have a, a resolution that I mentioned on Blazers Outsiders. Um, for anybody who's been, who's been subjected by watching my face on TV um, for all the uh, endless commercials that NBC Sports has been pumping up during games, I apologize. And, uh, yeah, I looked absolutely awful in all these. I, I, I looked like a, uh, a young John Goodman in Roseanne with the, uh, the flannel on. So, hey, uh, John Goodman did pretty well for himself. Hey, you know, I'll take that John Goodman money. I'm about that life. <laughs> um, but the resolution that I came with on, on Blazers Outsiders for myself was I'm going to see if I can drop 41 pounds before the Blazers hit 41 wins. I'm pretty comfortable oh. I'm safe here. Um, I've, if, for those worried about my health and safety, uh, I've dropped more weight than that before in a period of time. So, um, yeah, this is, this is about getting me back to being healthy. I'm always a big dude no matter what. Um, but this is about getting back to being being healthy me because uh, as I was sitting here recording this, I, I, I went and played basketball the other day and slipped a rib, and I'm barely able to move. So, yeah, oh. uh, adding excess weight to that. And, uh, and of course, seeing myself on TV with more than two chins <laughs> has been... Well, oh. I'm very proud of you. That's a, that's a good New Year's I, I thought so, too. I'm very that, proud of you for that. That way I can get behind the Blazers winning some games, too. Um, Are you going to eat a lot of kale? Um, no, uh, I'm going to go for... A, a I'll real... teach you how to make really good smoothies. Uh, 
see, I don't know if I can push to the green smoothies. Like, you know what? It's you fight it for a long time, and then once you'll have one, it'll be like, oh, if I just don't look at it, it's fine. I think that maybe that's the problem. I, I don't know. I, I love spinach. I love arugula. I've had kale before. It's kind of you know whatever. Um, but yeah, no, it's put it in a smoothie. It just adds body to it. It makes it it makes it taste more like a milkshake. That's really what it is. I just. Uh, uh, that, that, You'll be fine. That pea greens is kind of. I'm kinda... very proud of you. You're going to be very healthy. You're going to lose weight and be healthy. And the Blazers are going to win 41 games. It's going to be awesome. My New Year's resolution is to um, embrace excellence because after talking <laughs> with you and Ben Golliver and you guys all being all about excellence, I decided that I should at least give it a try and try to figure out what it's all about. And so um, that is – I'm not exactly sure what embracing excellence looks like. It's because Ben and I both means... went to a high school where we, we embraced excellence. Beards in high school, she outs. <laughs> wow. Uh, I'm not sure if that just means I'm going to complain more about stuff um, yes. or what. Uh, so you, just, you have to uh, embrace uh, it. Complain about other people not being excellent or yes. what? So you, you, you can be my excellence mentor. I, I, I'll, I'll ask I will you be your Ed Davis. Your <laughs> okay. Obi-Wan Davis. <laughs> okay. Well, we should probably wrap it up here because uh, it's getting on time to celebrate the new year. Yes, it and, is getting to that um, point. But we managed to talk a long time about just the the two games that the Blazers and uh, the general state of this team, which I think a lot of people yeah. have questions about, which I think is right. the good way. We hit other things we wanted to get to, but I think we got to things that were probably a little more important and or pressing with the current state of the team. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah, well, and I think I, I think there's a lot of consternation out there. There's a lot of hand wringing, and sometimes mm-hmm. we get so deep into the details that we forget to just kind of step back and go you know, this is still the trailblazers. This is still the team we love. This is still the team that represents the city. Um, and we want them to, dare I say, be excellent. Um, but you know, we also want to root for them and cheer for them and not worry every night, whether or not they're going to fall off a cliff or yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a rough time right now. And, yeah, but tomorrow it, we have something really to look forward to. Not really sure what to do about it. We do have something to look forward to: the unveiling of the Rip City uniforms. Plaid, oh. plaid is coming out against the Chicago Bulls. We will see them I in action. I thought that wasn't until January. Was it January? I thought they said they were going to play them. Play- oh wait, no, they're on the road. I'm an idiot. So it's January. Well, it doesn't 31st. matter. There was... are no road uniforms. Yep. That's just a construct, Dan. That's yep, just I totally a... forgot. The road uniforms don't exist anymore. I was looking at the schedule um, as Chicago was coming up. I had Chicago in my head. They play the Bulls on yep, January thirty-first. So... I had it as January first. Yeah. Oh well. Uh, yeah. So we have to wait a, a so, whole month. So yeah, you get a month before you can see anything else good. <laughs> yeah. But but anyway, uh, it's been great talking to you. 2017, we're going to say goodbye. 2018, we're going to embrace with health and excellence and wish the same for the Portland Trail Blazers. And um, Blazers Edge Night. Yes. Oh, yeah, Blazers we, Edge Night. We, this, is, this is the big push, folks. The game's coming up here in a couple of weeks, and this is where um, we need the most help. Um, there are still a fair amount of tickets remaining that need to be scooped up for everybody to attend for all 2000 to have a chance to attend. So if you can donate, please, the tickets range from nine to $13. Um, it's an awesome, awesome thing to, to be able to do, to be able to hand off, um, just a couple of bucks to make it. So a kid who wouldn't otherwise get a chance to go to one of these games, gets a chance to go, um, if you have the ability, please do it. You can scroll down to the bottom of the podcast. You can on the on every single post, I believe, between now and uh, Blazers Edge Night, there will be a link in the bottom going to Blazers Edge Night, so you can donate. If you have questions or if you have concerns, comments, whatever, you can reach out to any of the Blazers Edge people uh, via Twitter, via email, blazersub at gmail.com, um, and they can help you out, help you get sorted. Um, but if you do have the ability to make this happen, please do. There's also, you can go, um, there's the link also at the bottom that will allow you to purchase socks the official Blazers Edge socks. Again, I, I've mentioned this many times as my lucky socks. They are awesome. It's a new design this year. Uh, Ten bucks, I believe, is what they are. Um, and that'll help. That will Every pair you buy will be a uh, be matched by a donation um, for an, uh, a ticket for a lucky uh, child, him, her, 
um, to get to go to a game. So it's it's a it's a pretty cool situation no matter how you look at it. Um, so if you have the ability to make it happen, please do. Yeah, well, well, well put, Dan. Uh, thanks everybody for joining us on the podcast. You can find me on Twitter at tcbbigs. Dan, you want to tell people where to find you and take us out of here? Yes, absolutely. You can find me on Twitter at dmarang at d m a r a n g. You can also find me on non game nights on Facebook.nbcsnorthwest for the Blazers Outsiders at seven o'clock. We'll have some more news concerning the Blazers outside in the coming weeks. Uh, other than that, we'll go ahead and wrap it up for here. Thanks for joining us, folks. This is the Blazers Edge Podcast. You can find us on the Almighty Baller Podcast Network on iTunes. Go ahead and go to iTunes, like, subscribe, leave us a review. It's a huge, huge deal. So it allows us to be up there. So it allows us to generate money, which allows us to be able to continue to do these things. So if you can, please go do that. Like, subscribe, unsubscribe, do it all over again, and leave us all your reviews. <laughs> uh, thanks for everything this year, guys. It's been a great 2017. Look forward to a great 2018. And as always, go Blazers. Go Blazers.